0: This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Our typical host, Deborah Lindner, is not able to join us today, but I do have a guest host, Mike Hamblin, our CEO with Utah Foster Care. Mike, do you wanted to say hello?
1: I'm happy to be here, Liz. Thanks for letting me join in this conversation. This is one that I have a particular interest in, so I'm glad to be here.
0: Wonderful. And that particular interest today is talking to Chloe and Becky with Children's Service Society. They're going to be talking about grand families and some of the supports that are available through grand families and other organizations for kin families. So I'm going to go
2: ahead and just give them a minute each to introduce themselves, and we'll start with you, Chloe. So yeah, I do work for Children's Service Society. We have six programs right now; just added a new one. Becky and I are part of the Grand Families program, and that is a kinship navigator program. So we do case management for people raising relatives' children and help families that way. I'm also the president of the Utah Kinship Coalition,
3: so I have a lot of passionate things to say about kinship. Chloe does a great job as the president. I'm really uh, proud to be serving with you there, Chloe. I'm Becky Davis. I am the support services specialist for the Grand Families Program, as Chloe said. But I also play a little part in our adoption program and have a background mostly in adoption. So we do a lot of home studies for families who are considering adopting a child from foster care. And my bigger role is also running our Connections Program, which is a program to help adoptees Who would like to reunite with their birth families. I get to be the one who makes the search and the call to see if they would be interested in doing that. So it's really fun. But as I've worked more with grind families, I've really gotten a lot more passionate about these kinship caregivers and the roadblocks that they see. And some of the success stories are so wonderful. So it's been a really fun transition into this position.
0: Thanks, Becky. We're going to
3: start off with Mike. He has our first question for Chloe and Becky today.
1: So in talking with foster families, we know that a lot of times the state is looking at kin and looking to place with kin, and they often ask why kin and why is children staying with kin more important than staying with a foster family? And in particular, there's times when the kin is maybe not someone that the child has had a prior relationship with. And so could you just talk a little bit about the importance of those kinship relationships, even if they haven't necessarily been established in the past?
2: I'm happy to touch on that. There's so many family dynamics at play here. And that question that I feel like so many people wonder, even outside of foster families. When I tell people what I do, they're like, why don't they just use foster care? There's a lot of natural curiosity around that subject. And part of that also comes with a bit of a harmful narrative. Like if grandma raised mom and mom's using drugs, then why is grandma allowed to raise grandkids? And that's a really hard question. And again, like you're saying, sometimes the kin is not someone that the child knows really well. So there's a lot at play here. And I feel like the easiest way to wrap my head around it is that it's not like an overnight transition. Kinship, in my experience, happens slowly. Grandma watches grandkids on the weekends because mom has a job. And then slowly over the next few years grandma takes more of a role to the point where the kids are living with her. So it's easier if I just drop them off at school and then becomes the full-time caregiver. So that's been a really helpful thing for me to understand is that a lot of kinship situations happen over the course of years that they're building and changing these family dynamics. And now grandma looks more like a parental role. And it's a really Complicated situation. And I think that it's not just as cut and dry as like kids are removed,
3: they're placed with kin, and that's the end of the story. As far as the benefits of kinship care, I can speak a little bit about that from my adoption background, especially working with adult adoptees who are so desperate to know anything about their birth families. There is really a harm that we have done in the past in adoption where we thought that closed adoption was the way to go. And we are discovering more recently that there is so much pain. There's such a hole. There is really a primal wound for these kids that were not raised in their birth families. They don't have any connection to their culture. They don't have any connection to their family of origin, who they look like, anything like that. And to the point where when they become adults, that's where I get the call and they're just desperate to know any little detail that I can tell them. So one big benefit for kinship providers is giving them that link to their background, especially if it may be a transracial placement, like with foster family. For instance, a Black child in a white family, as much as that white family may love them and try to understand their position as a Black person in today's society, they just can't. So keeping them with kin gives them that link to their culture, their heritage, their race, their community. And also they're more likely to be able to stay with their siblings and and have that link as well.
0: That's a great point. So when we work with kin, these are kin who are getting licensed to take in their relative. So that's our connection. But we know there's a lot of kin that take in their relative children who don't come through foster care. Can you guys talk a little bit about how many children are being cared by kin and how that happens, especially sometimes outside of the foster care system?
3: I can't remember the specific number. But I feel like it was something like 21,000 kids being raised in Utah by kinship relatives. And I feel like there's at least a couple different ways that kids come into kinship care. One is the very informal route, like Chloe touched on. The mom goes to jail, the dad's out of the picture, or maybe the parent dies, something happens and the child is just informally left to the grandparents or the aunts or uncles. There's just within their family, this arrangement they've made that, okay, mom is not able to care for kids. Can you do it for a while? And you know, what starts out maybe as a overnight, can you just hang it for the weekend, turns into two weeks, two months, two years. It's just slowly progressing. And those families really struggle because they don't have the infrastructure of the law, official guardianship, things like that, to be able to help them get the supports that they need for themselves and that child. But a lot of times they don't know that those supports are out there. And so they just continue taking care of the kids within their family. And sometimes it's very much a cultural thing. Some cultures are very much into the family takes care of themselves and they don't need to look for outside services. The other way that kids come into care What you probably know a lot more about is that DCFS gets involved, there's trauma, there's abuse, there's neglect, and the kids are taken from the home. And Chloe said, it's just like, what do we do with these kids? All of a sudden, they have a relationship with grandma, let's put them in her home for now and see how that goes. And then it turns into a long-term situation. Yeah. And one more number thrown out there, a little nod
2: to families that are in intergenerational housing. The number for that one is over 64,000. There's so many options, I feel like, and one of them is let's all live in the same household and we can all parent this child together. And then that kind of helps with the financial resources. But like you're saying, like that's not an option for everyone.
1: So it's interesting hearing those numbers. The latest report from the state just came out and in their report, they show that there's little over 700 children that are in foster care that are being cared for by a relative. And then when you talk about 21,000 other families or other children out there being cared for by relatives, the numbers are staggering and it's amazing what those families are doing to care for the children. And having spoken with many of them, they just say they're my grandkids. Of course I'm going to care for them. Right. But still it's amazing to consider what that would do to the foster care system if all of those children had to come into foster care instead of having those relatives available. We get phone calls really pretty regularly from families that describe that situation that you're talking about where mom or dad are involved in drugs or have some mental health issues or there's something going on and they dropped the kids off and the grandparents took them in and it's been several months or maybe even a couple of years. And we'll get calls from the grandparents saying, financially, we can't do this any longer. I need some help, but I'm not sure what to do. And what does it take to get licensed as a foster parent? And oftentimes that first conversation is, well, there's potentially other resources that you could look into. And foster care might be the route that works best for your situation, but there's other things to consider as well. And honestly, when I say other resources, I typically give them your phone number and say to start there. But I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about some of those resources that are available or where does someone go to get additional resources?
2: Children's Service Society in particular is a kinship navigator program, meaning we connect them with as many resources as possible. Anything we can do to help and a service that we offer particularly is support groups because we want families to connect and know that this is not that strange that you're being raised by grandma. We try to help with any like Medicaid applications or guardianship applications, like those physical concrete paperwork. Do we need to assess like food pantry options? There is some funding available through the specified relative grant. It's a monthly stipend. It's not very much, but it's something, right? It's something to help. So just trying to hit all of those areas of life, the financial, the emotional, the paperwork, all across the board.
1: Sometimes it's as simple as how do I get my grandchild or my niece or nephew registered for school? How do I get that paperwork done to get them in? And we talk to families all the time that they end up with the children at the end of the school year or during the summer. And then now, what do I do? There's just all those little things that I think most of us don't think about until we're in the middle of it.
3: I'm so impressed with our family advocates that work with these kinship caregivers, watching them work is just a wonder the way they are able to assess the whole situation with these caregivers and look at what all their needs are. and Like Chloe said, both physical and emotional needs and be able to try and narrow down what exactly they need in their situation because no situation is the same. What one family needs is not what another family needs.
0: We are so grateful for you guys and we're so grateful that we know that we're turning over to somebody who's really going to be able to help them.
3: Another question I had
0: is one thing we hear sometimes is that DCFS contacted the kin early in a case and the kin declined taking the kids. And now we're six months into the case, eight months into the case. And now kin has said, oh, we think we do want them. And that sometimes is frustrating for the foster family. Help us understand some of those dynamics or some of those concerns that maybe might make kin hesitant in the beginning to take those children into their care. But as time goes on, they feel like, no, this probably is the best thing.
3: It feels like a lot of times the question comes out of the blue for these kinship caregivers. Can you take these kids? And they're really not set up for it. They have jobs. They don't have enough money to pay for daycare. They don't have an extra bedroom to put them in, things like that, that are just really daunting at that moment's notice phone call that they get. And they're like, no, I can't take these kids. But the longer the placement maybe with foster care goes on, the more they realize those kids are part of my family and we risk losing them forever. I really applaud foster parents and adoptive parents who are willing to have some open contact with the biological family. And I think that a lot of times that could probably help those situations is the foster family who potentially becomes the adoptive family could be in communication with the birth family and give them updates and let them have maybe some access to the child. I think a lot of times maybe the birth family would feel a little bit better about letting that child go to a foster home where they're child is already settled and has a routine and loves these families. But I feel like it's situations where there's just no contact and maybe there's adversarial feelings between them. That's when the biological family wants to step up and say, no, we want to be able to have this child in our care.
2: Yeah. I can't even imagine like the questions that run through a kinship caregiver's mind when they're presented with this issue What about childcare? I haven't had to worry about childcare for who knows how long. So that's a huge decision to make to welcome a child permanently in your home.
1: I was talking to a group of judges once about some of the perceptions of foster families. And in speaking of children leaving foster care to return home, one of the judges said it's important for foster families to understand that it's not a competition between them and the biological parents. If the biological parents meet the minimum requirements, then we're going to send the kids home. That's what needs to happen for the kids. And I think there's probably a similar feeling when it comes to kinship care, that it's not really a competition between the foster parents and the kinship family. It's more, if this is a kinship family that can meet the needs of the child and provide for their care, then that's what's in their best interest, regardless of what other differences there might be between the kinship family and the foster parents.
3: I agree with you wholeheartedly
0: on that, Mike. So I'm a foster parent and I've had these kids maybe for three months. And now Ken is in a situation where they lived in a 55 and older community and they had to move so they could take these kids into their home. How can I, as a foster parent, best support that transition? Because I think that's one of the concerns for families sometimes is they've been with me, they know us, they know our family, and it's going to be hard for them and it will be hard for them. Mm -hmm. So how do we make that easier for everybody, the child most importantly?
3: This is such a good question because I think that there's a myth out there that knowing the child will already make parenting them easier for kinship families and that kinship families need less support. But the reality is in some ways that these Kinship families need more support. And like we've mentioned before, because they didn't anticipate or plan on having these kids in their care, where foster families have thought about this decision and they've had loads of training and preparation to take a traumatized child in their home, the kinship caregivers don't often have that luxury. So to answer your question, I think my initial thought is about always speaking positively about the child's first family. And if they struggle to do that, at least... To speak neutrally about them if the child's hearing negative things about their birth family it's going to make transitioning them back into that family a lot harder but the other thing that foster parents can do is work with the kin relatives to help them learn what they as foster parents have learned about that child in their care so for instance like what structure the child has what what kind of schedule are they on what foods do they enjoy what triggers them what kind of behaviors do they see what helps calm and soothe them. Exactly what you said, Liz, those parents have had them in their home and they, the foster parents know that child sometimes so much better than the kinship family. And so being able to be a team with them and help that transition with their knowledge and their experience and even sending them with a favorite blanket, things like that, help the child feel more comfortable and help the kinship family to feel more comfortable as well.
2: I totally agree with that, Becky. And I think that it's hard to give a blanket statement because I think it has to be age appropriate, right? The way that you talk to a three-year-old is going to be a lot different than talking to a 15-year-old. But like you said, Becky, just to emphasize that this is normal, right? This is fine that you're going to a new house. It might be hard. This is the reality of it. We don't have to sugarcoat things. You're so loved. This family member wants to help raise you.
3: I would also give the same kind of advice to kinship caregivers, and that is to be open to continuing that relationship with the foster parents if that child is bonded with that family. Don't take that away from them. Be able to visit and send letters or pictures, things like that. Let them still go and play at that house and keep that connection. Because honestly, who wants to say that children can only have this much love in their lives? The more people and adults who love them, the better off that kid is going to be.
0: Absolutely. I'm thinking about one of our foster families who their very first little baby, they fell head over heels in love with them and then ended up being placed with Ken. I think it was after about four or five months. And at first this foster mom, she said, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. She said, but then I got to know them and they were so wonderful and they loved me and they welcomed me. And it's probably been about five years now and they're still in a relationship. She'll put pictures on Facebook of their birthday party or that child came over for the weekend and it's like you said, it's just more people to love this child and to support the family. It can be a beautiful thing when people
1: work together.
2: Yeah. And what parent doesn't need more child care? Right? <laughs> the more ties, the more people that love this child, the better for sure.
1: So speaking of support, let's say that I've got a neighbor that I know has taken in their grandkids. What kinds of things can I do if we're talking about 21,000 kids across the state? So how do I provide that added support for them if they're not getting it? through the state or other places?
3: I think a good answer to that is to really understand what's happened to that family and the upheaval that they're going through. If you're in a position to offer maybe some childcare, help them out with watching the kids once or twice a week if they need it and giving them some respite and understanding, especially if it's a grandparent that's taken these kids in, that they've just given up their retirement for this child and they've lost not only their freedom, but also their social structure. All their friends are retired. They're going on cruises and your neighbor suddenly can't do that anymore. And so they're going to need an outlet and somebody to just listen to them and be okay with them venting sometimes and allowing them those moments where they don't have to be a saint all the time and they're human and they can just say, you know what, this is hard and this stinks. And you can just be that person to say, "I hear you. That would be very hard and I'm proud of you for taking them on. So being an emotional support, I think is a really good advice, but also any kind of concrete supports that you can offer as far as, like I said, childcare, maybe helping them go shopping. If you've got a child or grandchild in your home that's the same age and can play with them, that would be wonderful.
2: A lot of the clients that we work with at Children's Service Society, are relatively young for the stereotypical grandma image in your mind. Like maybe grandpa has passed away and grandma's still working and she's in her 40s. A lot of the needs I think that we see with the sudden transitions are things like clothing. If children are coming from a home with maybe some neglect, or even we have a few clients that the children are coming from a homeless situation and they come to grandparents' home with just the clothes that they're wearing those immediate need a backpack for school right like these things that are maybe not obvious but that's a huge financial burden and, and i think that we kind of keep talking about it like if one kid they're often sibling groups not an easy feat to get school ready for three siblings that come into your house overnight so i think maybe just checking in on those little things. Does your kid have a backpack for school or do they need some diapers to get you through the week until you get on your feet again? So, yeah,
3: yeah. It's amazing how many requests we get for beds and dressers and just physical things like that as well. And unfortunately, that's not something we can help with necessarily, but we can try to connect them with community resources that maybe can help. And that's something that you can do to support kinship caregivers. if In your neighborhood, you hear of somebody who got a bed that they're giving away. You can let them know, hey, we've got this grandma in our neighborhood who suddenly got three kids in her home and they could really use a bed.
0: That's wonderful. Make it a community effort, which is ideal. Thank you. Well, as we're wrapping up, we wanted to give you guys a minute to talk about the town hall. September is National Kinship Month. I'd love to have you guys let our listeners know about that.
2: Yeah. Our town hall this year is going to be in person, which is exciting. And in the town hall, I think is just a fancy word for just an information night. It's going to be Tuesday, September 20th, and it will be at the Children's Service Society office, which is 4500 South and 7 East on, the, on that corner there. Yeah. And five o'clock, we're going to do some booths, the community resources. And then at six o'clock, we're going to have some panelists kind of just have a conversation similar to today about kinship and the importance of it. So it's both for social workers, for community members, and for people who are raising their relatives' children. So everyone's welcome. We're just going to have a great discussion about the importance of
3: kinship. This year, our topic is going to be the impact of trauma in kinship families, which is a huge hurdle for all kids and caregivers. And traumas. Is- Such a powerful and pervasive effect on all aspects of a child's life. And it can really make it difficult to create permanency for them and help them to heal. And so we hope that addressing this specific topic will help both the caregivers and the professionals who may be attending to view these situations through a more trauma informed lens and give them a chance, especially for the professionals, to hear what it's like personally for these kinship caregivers we had i think two or three couples last year on our town hall panel discussion who were kinship caregivers and they did a phenomenal job their stories were so touching and it was really impressive to see how they had grown from the moment they first got those kids into care from where they are now and they're able to be advocates and really give other people support as well so we love doing this town hall experience We'll
0: make sure on the podcast page that we have all that information as well. And then for foster families who are listening, you do receive in-service training credit also for attending this town hall. So we hope to get a nice community there to support and to learn. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Becky. Thanks, Mike, for filling in. And we're grateful for Children's Service Society and Grand Families and all that you guys do for the community and the families that we both work with. And Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.